when Jesus uh, was doing his ministry, Matthew's gospel tells us that at one point people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them and bless them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We see in our kids coming forward to wave flags what it is that the kingdom of God belongs to children. Children want to be a part of the family and a part of the story and are eager to bring themselves to do that. Kids are quick to go all in. And this morning, we continue our all-in series, looking at God's all-in love for his people, sending Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life for us. And if that were not enough, also sending us his Holy Spirit to empower us to follow the way of Jesus, to believe and trust the truth of Jesus, and to live the life of the body of Christ. While many of us are schooled in the truth of Jesus, and some of us have, or have studied the life of Jesus, I think few of us really have experienced the way of Jesus as a model to follow, as a way that we can align our lives and have our lives transformed. Yet this is exactly what Jesus and his ministry intended. So this morning, I've entitled our sermon, Separation and Intimacy, because I want to focus on those two things. Separation as our current reality, the state of affairs in our broken world, and intimacy as both God's creational good intent and also the future and even the present that he holds out for us. So as we open up God's word this morning, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, and I just invite you to listen to the words and to wonder if you can see those two categories at play, separation and intimacy. This is what the Apostle Paul says, writing to the church in Ephesus. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called, quote, uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and by or in one body to reconcile both of them, both parties or both sides to God through the cross by which he put to to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and also peace to you who are near. For through him, we, have, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, as a result, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus himself as the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So far, the reading of God's word. As we look at separation and intimacy, I want to add just one more thing into the mix here. It's a short video by Leonard Cohen, who's a prolific songwriter and singer. Uh, And he sings about intimacy in his song, Anthem. Leonard Cohen is also a prolific mumbler, and so you may not be able to understand the first few seconds of the video, but uh, the actual lyrics are subtitled. So let's watch that together. Thank you so much, friends. We're so privileged to be able to gather in moments like this when so much of the world is plunged in darkness and chaos. So, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Leonard Cohen suggests that there is a crack in everything. That everything is broken in some way. Even us as people, we're broken. Not just individually, but interpersonally as well. That the parts and pieces of us are separate from one another, and they are the things that, se- or the brokenness is what separates us from one another. I'm not sure I really have to convince you that this is true. After the past two years, I hardly need to describe separation, it feels like. All of us have gotten used to physical distancing. We've gotten used to self-isolating. We know what it is to meet online and have days where we don't leave our house. But these are physical separations. And of course, there's more to it than that. But I wonder whether the greatest pain of separation is being in a room filled with people and yet still feeling completely alone. There's a kind of separation that's deeper than just physical separation. It's an acute disconnection from meaningful relationship with other people and with God. And that separation is not new. It's not something that started two years ago. It's been there since the beginning. There is a crack in everything. This kind of separation has faced humanity since since our fall into sin. The acute pain of separation fades into a dull ache so that most of us can survive with it. And yet it's there. It manifests as loneliness or depressive thoughts, even social anxiety. The idea that uh, we get used to being separate, we get used to having parts and pieces of us missing, and we're not sure we know how to interact with others. And what's more, we don't just want a sort of surface-level contact. We long for intimacy, for something more, something deeper. Which is not to say that surface-level conversation is bad, but it is to say that if in the family of God, all we have is just surface-level conversation, That's part of the brokenness and the cracks and everything as well. 
I don't believe that separation is first about being physically physically isolated. Separation is first about shame. Shame is a couple things. One is shame is our internal emotional feeling about ourselves. Sadness because I don't feel worthy of others' love. Hurt because I am an afterthought. Awkwardness because I feel I don't belong. But shame is also about our external behavior in relation to the rest of the group or the group in relation to us. That I'm not welcome in the group. That others avoid me. That no one will listen to me or help me or attend to me. Because we all live in a sinful world, we all experience shame and sin. People from different cultures may experience it differently. And yet there it is for all of us, a part of sin's curse. There is a crack in everything. I was sitting with a friend over the weekend talking about this brokenness, how, the, how everything in our world is broken and affected by sin. And in the context of that conversation, he asked me about the Bible. He said, well, if everything is, if everything is broken, what's, what about the Bible? After all, he reasoned, it's written by people. People are selfish. People lie. There's a crack in everything. I responded to him that as people, we all have to put our faith in something or someone. Many of us put our faith in ourselves. We're the ones who have to decide what's true and what's false, who to trust and who to distrust. But Christians, we put our faith in God. We trust that God's way is better than our way. We trust that his word, the word made flesh, is the way, the truth, and the life. And Christians follow the way of Jesus, not because we understand it, but because, or not because we understand it fully, but because we believe the truth of Jesus and we desire to live the life of the body of Christ. At least we're supposed to. That's how it's supposed to be. But there is a crack in everything. There is always a gap, isn't there, between who we are, really, and who we are supposed to be. The story of the Bible begins with God's, or our good God, in perfect community, creating human beings in his image to invite them into intimacy with him. He makes Eve out of Adam's body, which is not an emphasis about who's first and who's last, but of physical oneness. Of intimacy. Intimacy is a part of the created order, part of God's intent and part of what he put in us from the beginning. But Adam and Eve are removed from the garden because they try to make a name for themselves apart from relationship with God. Adam and Eve experience the shame of separation from God and from one another. I'm going back and retelling a little bit of the story of Scripture because it's important for us to remember that these things are connected. That the further we are from God, the further we are from one another as well. I have an image to try and help us process or understand this. So you see behind me that ball with all of these little points on it. Just imagine as, a, as an individual that you're one of those little red uh, things on the end. And that the community you're a part of makes up the other pieces. 
Now watch what happens when you try to pull one, just one piece apart from all the other ones. Everything pulls apart. If we try to pull away from God, we pull away from everyone else as well. When we withdraw from just one other person, we withdraw from the entire community. God created us as interconnected people, built for intimacy with one another, built for intimacy with God. And the story of the Bible begins in a garden and ends in a city, but it begins with intimacy and it ends with intimacy. But it's interrupted by that separation, by the crack in everything. So what connects the intimacy at the beginning of the story to the intimacy at the end? Well, it's a tree with a builder nailed to it. Adam and Eve were sent away from the tree in the garden. But Jesus was irrevocably connected to the tree so that we could come near, so that we could access his life, so that we could access his peace. His purpose, Paul says, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. It's a tree in the old city of Jerusalem that connects the garden in the beginning of the story to the city at the end. It's the tree in the city that Paul is talking about when he says, You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Being brought near is not about substitutionary atonement. Being brought near is about covering our shame. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the moment when we can be assured that God knows the pain and the shame that we know. The shame of being forsaken, of being rejected, of being second best. The shame of being isolated and ignored. Yet in the cross, we are no longer isolated, no longer separated, no longer left for ourselves to help ourselves. Being brought near is a picture of intimacy and a picture of connection. As we draw near to God, we are drawn near to one another as well. I want to explain all this in the context of the arc of the story of Scripture from the beginning in the garden to the end in the city because this is the arc that Paul talks about when he talks about intimacy as being built as a household with Christ as the cornerstone. The implications of this language that Paul uses that we are built into a house with Christ as the cornerstone, the implications of this are so staggering that we can't even go into all of them this morning. But I want to just touch on a few. First, that intimacy is related to our creational identity, as we already mentioned. Intimacy is not a value to pursue. It's not something nice that uh, we should try to get around to. Intimacy allows us to recapture and re-experience our original value, our original worth. Intimacy is about being closer to God, but also being closer to one another. Intimacy in this is a gift, a great gift from God, not a task. Second, that God intends to cement us together. 
That's the image of the house that Paul is working with. That is, these, these bricks are staying there when you build a house. This also means that the shallow connection that many of us have in the church is, as I said, also a part of that crack in everything. If all we have is shallow connection and distant relationship, then we've got a pretty weak house. But God has made us for deep, committed connection, for deep relationships that will transform us in deep ways. Third, God is using cracked and broken people to build his house. Isn't it amazing? As I said, that Jesus on the cross knew our shame, knew our separation. God is not surprised by our brokenness. He's not surprised by your sin or by the things that cause other people to push you away. He knows what it is to be ignored, forsaken, and abandoned. And God uses cracked and broken people to build his house anyway. He knows our sin. He knows our brokenness. And yet it pleases him to shine through and to fill us all with himself and with his glory. This is how God covers our shame. How God restores our honor. He not only invites us to the table, which we will gather together in a minute. He puts us in significant positions. He connects us to one another and makes our, us into an interdependent and interconnected whole. Of all of the implications of this picture that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to just pursue this one, this last one, that Paul says that all of this is for our peace. For our peace. When the Bible talks about peace, it's not just talking about the absence of war. It's talking about flourishing for everyone and everything. When the Bible talks about peace, in other words, it's talking about intimacy. Intimacy is about flourishing for everyone within the context of the family of God, within the context of right and good relationship with God. That's what intimacy is all about. I think it's important to say and, and to remember that, to, to hold that picture of intimacy close to our hearts, peace and flourishing for everyone who's a part of the family of God, especially because our denomination this summer is going to look at a human sexuality report. And it's interesting to me that in the context of that report that no one is arguing that humans are made for intimacy. We all agree on that. Intimacy makes us flourish. Intimacy with God and intimacy with others. But sadly, we get ourselves tied in knots because all of us, and I'm going to be so bold as to say all of us, and so if I'm wrong, come find me after the service. But all of us, I think, whether we're conservative or liberal, whether we're immigrants or lifelong Canadians, whether we're young or old, all of us think wrongly that sexual intimacy is the best kind of intimacy. When in fact, sexual intimacy is just another of God, God's good gifts that point us ultimately to intimacy with Him. Whether we're having sex or not having sex, 
Everything in our world tells, points us to say that sexual intimacy is the, most in, is the most important, the best kind. But Scripture tells us that intimacy with God is the best kind. That intimacy with the family of God is the best kind. That in fact, the kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to married couples. The kingdom of heaven belongs to children. Why? Because they know what it is to run to the arms of a loving parent. They know what it is to be a part of a group and to welcome others to wave flags with them. Over and over, Scripture tells us, if we have ears to hear, that even marriage points us to the intimacy between Christ and His church. It's that intimacy which we aim toward. That is how the light gets in. The word in Jesus' day for this kind of intimacy, this kind of family intimacy, was oikos. Oikos is not about Greek yogurt. That's just what Danon wants you to think. They want you to have their Greek yogurt around the house. That's oikos means house. Not just the building, but it means house, household, and family. And as Greek verbs go, and you don't have to care about this, but uh, it's also not just a noun, but a verb. And as a verb, it's about building. It's about deepening and growing. Because that's what you do, not just with a house, you build it, but with a family and with a household. You build it, you grow it, you strengthen it. And as I alluded to before, Jesus was a builder. We sometimes mistakenly think that Jesus was a carpenter. And as in a furniture builder, right? But Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was actually a builder. Not with wood, but with stones. Just like Peter's family, business was fishing. Like Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus' family business, his dad's business, his, his earthly father's business was building. And so even in a passage that I referenced a few months back, where Jesus says to Peter, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build... My church. Jesus is inviting Peter, he's inviting his disciples, and through Paul, inviting all of us to be a part of his father's business. Not his earthly father's business, building luxury condos, his heavenly father's business, building the family of God. What does building this intimacy look like? Well, intimacy is for people. And so it's not an optional add-on to a slate of programs that as a church we might offer. Intimacy is an integral part of what God intends the church to be. Let's just read these last few verses from uh, Ephesians chapter 2 again. Verses that uh, I've gone back through and you can see highlighted. As consequently, Paul says, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens in the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a body, holy to the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place where God lives by his Spirit. All those words in green are built on that oikos root in Greek. They're all about the house the household, the family of God, but the family of God that also is not just a building, but is a body, holy to the Lord, Paul says. This is the payoff for Paul and for us today. That 
This is the purpose that everything else is building toward. Being all in doesn't mean that we all agree on everything. If we built a house based on our agreement, based on our own complete, incomplete understanding, if we built a house based on my way of doing things or your priorities, we would have a weak house indeed. Likewise, if the bricks are running off and doing their own thing without concern for the rest, we'll have a weak house. Being all in doesn't mean we agree on everything. It means we embrace our identity in God's family. That we are joined together with Jesus as we each do our part in His Father's business, building the family of God. How do we do that? How do we hold together the family of God? Well, we can use big words or we can use small words, one small word. But it's not too difficult. Jesus' message in Scripture is clear. If you want to talk about Christian theology, it starts with God as love. Christian worship starts with love God. Christian spirituality, love your neighbor as yourself. Christian community, love one another. And Christian ethics, love your enemies. These are not just my ideas or me trying to be clever. These are the things that Jesus taught in his ministry. Not just once, but repeatedly, again and again, in different contexts, to different groups of people. I can guess already that you're tempted to see these things, these beliefs, these values, these actions as the building block. That the church is built with love. But let me just remind you one final time today that you are the building blocks. That Paul says that you are the building blocks that Christ has chosen to build his church. It's love that is the glue and the mortar that holds the building together. But you and I, we are the bricks. We are what is being what God is building to use his house or to, what is God is using to build his house. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, Scripture says. And with him, with Christ as the cornerstone, all of us rise. All of us are built up. So as we close this morning, I want to offer you a challenge. Will you allow the love of God to connect you to others in his household? Will you take the time to allow the mortar of God's love to set God has brought you near. He's brought us near. How will you remain near? So that God and so that how will you remain near to God and to God's people? If Jesus is our cornerstone, if he is our peace, if he has destroyed the barrier of hostility between us, then here's the challenge. Rather than trying to bring up another topic, or another thing to talk about, which is always a temptation for people like me who are very task-oriented. What would it look like to find someone outside of your biological family, but someone in the family of God whom you trust, and to just tell them something about yourself, something you're struggling with, something that is just true about you, Not to try to change them, not to try to look good or to help others, just to build 
intimacy together. Just to share some of your brokenness with them and see if the light of God can shine through. To see what God will do. To see if He will not draw you and draw us closer together. I'm going to leave that uh, last line up on the, state, on the screen behind me and come to God in prayer. Father God, we're going to celebrate in just a moment that what, what we receive from you, we also pass on to others. That we received from you, your Son, made human. That he became the cornerstone of your new family, the new household of God. That it is marvelous in our sight. God, teach us what it is to embrace our humanity as well. Do not try to be more or different than we are, but to rest in your love and to find intimacy in your community so that we might be built up together into the kind of house that you desire, the house that you design with you as the cornerstone, you are foundation that everything else is built upon. Thank you for your love, Lord, and we ask that you continue to lead us forward in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.